0: No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when cancelled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply.
1: And go for Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network.
3: Slater Crusaders, how are you? America's the greatest country in the world. Thank you for being here. The last time we're going to be together before. We have a new president elected. Goodness gracious. All right. I have a prediction. Um, Well, let me, let me, let me be general here. Um, There's a very good chance that whoever wins the popular vote does not win the electoral college. And there is a higher than normal chance that no one wins the electoral college. And that's what I want to chat about here for the next few minutes. We got to chat about the electoral college because it very well might come into play on Tuesday. Now, we all know that you can win the popular vote, like in 2000, and not win the presidency. You you may have more people nationwide vote for you, but that doesn't mean you're the next president. You have to win the Electoral College. You have to get at least 270 Electoral College votes. There's 538 total. You got to get 270. So let's start from the very beginning here. And we'll work our way up to some potential things that could happen on Tuesday. So each state gets one elector per congressman and senator, right? So California, for instance, has 53 congressmen and two senators. So we have, in California, 55 electoral college votes. Texas has... 36 congressmen and two senators. So they have 38 electoral college votes. Maine, which we'll talk about a little later, Trump has been there a lot recently, we'll tell you why, because they're a little bit of an anomaly, but in this they're the same. They have two senators and two congressmen, so they have four electoral college votes. That's how that works. You got it? So that's, that's how each state is apportioned the number. It's the number of congressmen plus the number of senators. Now the best way to think about the electoral college is there are two different elections. The first election is Tuesday. November 8th. That's when we vote. Now you're going to go to the polls and you're going to vote for either Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton or Jill Stein or whoever. But what you're doing is you're not really voting for Trump or Hillary. You're voting for electors. The second election takes place on December 19th. That's the day that the electors that we have chosen. Gather together and they Vote on who the next president should be. And they're the vote that actually counts. Now, why do we do it this way? Well, it's in the Constitution. Why is it in the Constitution? Because our founding fathers are students of history. And they were, for good reason, very wary of direct democracy. This is why they created every check and balance that is in the constitution from the federal and state governments right federalism the three branches of government having a senate and a house now originally and we should still have this but the senate was elected actually senators were elected by state representatives not direct vote and it was it was just the house that was direct vote of the people but there was that check Right, So there's all these checks on democracy. So our founding fathers, of course, they like the, the the concept of democracy and people being involved in that as opposed to a king. But they're very wary of it and they put a ton of checks on it. That's why we have a republic. Now I could quote a ton of founding fathers on this, but time is short here because uh, we've got a lot to talk about with the Electoral College. So I'll just quote uh, Benjamin Rush, short and sweet. He was one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. He was the doctor Amongst our founding fathers, he said a democracy is one of the greatest of evils. Short and sweet. It's a great lie that we live in a democracy in America. We don't. We live in a republic. So the Electoral College is another check on direct democracy. Now, I wanted to start, start with that because I feel like you, you, whether you're a Trump supporter or not or whatever, you have to decide whether or not you like the Electoral College now before your opinion is swayed based on who wins. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I have a strong feeling that if if Trump wins the popular vote but loses the Electoral College, a lot of Trump people are going to say they hate the Electoral College. But if it's vice versa and Hillary wins the popular... Or, right? Hillary wins popular and Trump wins the Electoral College, then the Democrats are going to say they hate the Electoral College. I think we have to decide now whether or not we like the Electoral College. Now, there's some pros and cons against it, and I want to go over some of those real, real quick. But I think big picture just... I, I ask you to, to consider the Electoral College another check under the umbrella of all the other checks and balances that are in the Constitution, which I know we all agree with. Federal, state, government, um, three branches of government, right? Like, we all agree with those. Electoral College is in that same spirit. So what's the practical effect of the Electoral College? If we had a direct democracy, meaning popular vote wins. right? Whoever gets the most votes nationwide wins. What you would have is you'd have Hillary Clinton campaigning in Los Angeles, San Francisco, and New York. What the Electoral College does is it forces her campaign and all the campaigns to campaign across the country. And in theory, appeal to a broader amount of people. So instead of just campaigning in the population centers of New York and L.A., She's in Iowa, and Florida, and North Carolina, and Maine, and, and, and New Hampshire, and Michigan, right? She's all over the place. She's in all these swing states that she really doesn't give a lick about, but the Electoral College forces her to care, or at least pretend to. She'd much rather just campaign in places that she's already loved. And I'm just using her as an example. This is true for Trump and everyone. So in theory, this the Electoral College makes the candidates, I don't want to say more moderate. I want to say um, appeal to a broader... Amount of people, um, less fractional. Think about it like this. Let's say we didn't have an electoral college, it was a popular vote. Hillary would campaign in California only. And she would pit California interests against, say, Southern interests. And Donald Trump would campaign just in the South and pit Southern interests against California interests. But the candidates can't do that. They, they, They can't run a fractional campaign geographically because they want to get votes from states all across the country, right? Trump wants to get votes in, in uh, you know, Colorado, Utah, Nevada area. He wants to get some votes in New Hampshire. He's got to get some votes in the South, got to get them in the Midwest, right? So he's got to be all over. So he has to come up with a message, every candidate, that, that appeals to people all across the country. Now, of course, there's different interests in different areas, but they're not pitting areas against each other like you could do if it was just a direct democracy. So in short, the Electoral College makes candidates appeal to the entire country, not just the biggest cities in the biggest states. And also a little side effect. I don't know if this is something our founding fathers had in mind, but it's actually harder to rig an election. It's harder to steal an election because of the Electoral College. So if you had a popular vote, then the Democrats could just add 10 million votes in Los Angeles, right, where she's going to win by a ton or 10 million votes in Wyoming where no one's paying attention. And it would, it would just go to the popular vote count. But with the Electoral College, you need to rig votes in different swing states. And the effect of that is only limited to that one state. So let's say uh, Hillary rigs the election and, and adds, stuffs the ballot boxes, and t- adds 10 million votes in Pennsylvania. Okay, she'll steal Pennsylvania, but those ten million won't be vote won't be counted towards the popular vote win, right? Because it doesn't matter. You know, what I mean? so so you'd have to you'd have to rig the vote in Pennsylvania and Florida and Ohio in order to have that make a difference. So so it makes it more difficult to to steal an election that way. Does that make sense? So those are some good things about it. It might work in Trump's favor. It might work against. Now, if you're on the fence. About the Electoral College right now and whether or not it's a good thing. Uh, maybe the tie-breaking argument I can give you is that the Democrats are secretly doing the best they can, and we'll talk about this another day. But they're secretly doing the best they can to circumvent the Constitution and get rid of the Electoral College. The Democrats hate the Electoral College. The Democrats want popular vote. They want democ- direct democracy. They want everything that our founding fathers warned us against and to create a country counter to. Right. That, that that's where they want to go. So if you're like, "Mm, I don't know, direct democracy, do we want a popular vote? Just know that the Democrats and the unions and all those people really, 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 really want it. So hopefully that at least inclines you to believe that we should have the electoral college. The left loves direct democracy, which our founding fathers knew was national suicide. Okay, is that good background? Oh, one last thing. Who are the electors? Sorry, should have said that. Uh, The electors are chosen by party leaders in each state. So I'll just use California again as an example. There's 55 electors. The Republican Party has 55 electors ready and rearing to go, hoping that Donald Trump wins California. So all 55 of the Republican electors will vote. And the Democrats have 55 electors. The Democratic Party chose 55 electors. And they're hoping that Hillary Clinton wins California so they can send all 55 of their Democrat delegates to vote on December 19th and in all the states except for two, Nebraska and Maine, it's winner take all. And we'll get to that anomaly in a second because that actually will probably come into play. Because whoever wins it's going to be close. It's going to be by a few electoral college votes. And that's what I want to talk about next. But that, but so they're they're, part, they're chosen by the party and in 40, excuse me, in uh, well yeah, 49 states and there's technically 51 states I'm counting because uh, Washington D.C. has three electoral college votes as well. So it's 51. So in um, 49 states It's winner take all, and the party chooses the electors. And they're just party insiders. That's all. That's who they physically are. Okay, I want to take a break here. Now I want to break some things down because it's going to get super complicated here, and I guarantee you on Tuesday night, it's going to be close, electoral college-wise, and no one really is going to know what's going on. So if you listen to this next segment, now you got the background, and now we're going to talk talk about some, um, some different things that could happen, not only on election night, but every day from election night until December 19th when the electors actually vote. Because in 25 states, there's something called faithless electors. And the short of it is they don't have to vote for who the people in their state tell them to vote for. All right, we'll break all that down coming up next. And if you have any questions about it, Slater Radio on Twitter or one 888 900 And will make sense of this so that, again, you're the smartest person you know of everyone who's uh, watching the results come in on Tuesday. 1-888-900-3393. Mike Slater, show the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word.
4: This is Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network.
0: No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply.
1: This is Mike Slater.
3: Hey, Slater Crusader's talking about the Electoral College. If you have any questions, Slater Radio on Twitter about how the Electoral College works. Because I do think um, it'll come down to this in a very very close electoral college race um here's where it could get interesting in 26 states electors have to vote for who wins a majority of the vote okay so in california when uh clinton's gonna win right california So all 55 electors have to vote for Hillary Clinton in the Electoral College. They have to. By law, they have to. Now, in 25 states, now I know that adds up to 51, but that's because Washington, uh, Washington, D.C. counts. They allow what are called faithless electors, faithless, F-A-I-T-H, faithless electors. A faithless elector is not bound by law to vote for who the majority of the people in the state tell them they have to vote for. So let's say uh, I had a uh, I don't have a list here of the states that are faithless electors. Hold on. Find it real quick. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Should I should add this up. OK, uh, let's go with this. St- OK, let's go Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania has 20 electoral college votes let's say Hillary wins Pennsylvania but between now and December 19th when the electoral college votes, five electors who are Democrat appointees either because they love Bernie or because Hillary Clinton gets indicted from now till December 19th they say I can't I, I can't in good conscience vote for Hillary Clinton I can't do it. I can't. She's. Just, I. I. I'm, yeah. I'm a Democrat. I'm a Democrat elector. A majority of the people in my state said I have to vote for Hillary Clinton, but I just can't do it in good conscience. So I'm abstaining. That's five people. That's five electors. Now let's say Hillary Clinton wins the electoral college by four electors. Well, she just lost five in Pennsylvania. Now she's below the 270 she needs. Now we'll talk about what happens if, if, you, if neither candidate gets a 270 in a second. But do you see how that could work? So in 25 states, including D.C., electors can change. They don't have to do what the majority of the people in the state tell them they have to do. So anything can happen between Election Day and December 19th that can make a big difference in the actual outcome. Now you're saying, well, Senator, that will never happen. Well, it's happened in 22 presidential elections. 179 electors in those 22 elections, 179 have voted against who the people told them to vote for, or at least didn't vote at all. And they can do that too. They can abstain. Now, some of them have been goofy circumstances and some of them a little more serious. So it happened recently, sort of. In 2004, there was an elector from Minnesota who meant to cast their vote for John Kerry and John Edwards for VP, but instead wrote in, john e words for president They left out the d and they put john e words for president not vice president and so he didn't like so <laughs> so that counted as a faithless elector and john kerry technically lost one electoral college vote didn't make a difference in the outcome but in 2000 an elector in washington dc abstained did not vote for al gore as a protest because Washington DC congressmen don't have uh, voting rights in the Congress. So, so that person did not vote for Al Gore in the electoral college. Now those are kind of silly circumstances, but who knows why faithless electors may choose to not vote um, by December 19th in this election. Now, never once has a faithless elector changed the outcome of a presidential election, but fun little trivia question in 1836, all 23 electors in Virginia refused to cast their vote for the vice presidential candidate, Richard Johnson. Martin Van Buren was the president, presidential candidate. He got the number of electoral college votes. But um, 23 electors in Virginia, all of them, decided not to cast their vote for the vice presidential candidate. And they did that because they found out that Richard Johnson uh, was having a relationship with a slave. So those electors did not vote for him for vp he missed the cutoff he missed the number of electors he needed to be elected vice president by one vote one elector so the decision to who's going to be the vp went to the senate and they elected johnson the vice president anyway right but but still like that's how that could go down so there is a world where and this could go either way but let's say hillary wins the election on November 8th. She gets 272 electoral college votes. She needs 270, she gets 272. And then a week later, she gets indicted, she gets arrested, she faints and has a heart attack, whatever, and the electors go on December 19th and all it would take in that case is three of them to say, "Ah, we can't vote for her now. And then she doesn't get the 270 she needs, Donald Trump doesn't have the 270, and in that case, it goes to the House of Representatives. And the House of Representatives is controlled by the Republicans, and Donald Trump would be elected president. Now, it could also happen the other way. Let's say Donald Trump gets 272 electoral college votes. And in three of the uh, there's three electors in Texas who hate Trump so much they decide not to vote for Donald Trump in the Electoral College. He goes below the 270 threshold. In that circumstance, again, it would go to the House, and the House would choose Donald Trump because it's by far controlled by the Republicans. Now they're saying Slato, this will never happen. What are the chances? No way. Well, I'll tell you right now. One Washington state Democratic elector has already announced just yesterday announced that they will not support Hillary Clinton. This is a, a Democratic elector in Washington says she will not vote for Hillary Clinton, even if a majority of the people in Washington state say that she must. Which means Hillary technically doesn't need 271 votes in the Electoral College. Or excuse me, doesn't need 270. She needs 271 If this one Washington elector follows through on her pledge, she's a Bernie supporter. So I'm just saying it's not over on November 8th. (laughs) God, God help us spread the word.
1: This is Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio on
4: the Blaze Radio Network.
3: Listening to Mike Slater. Slater Crusaders, that's a being here. So I hope all this electoral college stuff makes sense. Uh, I think it's really gonna come down to it. There's a website called 272 wincom 270 TO WIN.com. And it's a really easy interactive map where you just click it once for Trump to win, click it twice for Hillary to win, and um, you can kind of do the math here. It is it is and has always been a very uphill battle for Republicans. To win the Electoral College, just because Democrats lately have been winning California and New York right off the bat. So there's just a, it's an uphill climb no matter what. So Trump's really got to win almost all of the states, the the swing states, in order to pull it off. And if you click around enough, there are absolutely ways where, first of all, they tie 269, 269. So neither of them get to 270. uh, Or it comes down to one, two, three, four Electoral College votes, which, as I explained in the last segment, could change when December 19th rolls around, uh, when the electors actually do the voting. Now, one last anomaly here. Nebraska and Maine are the two states where it's not winner-take-all. So in every other state, if you get 50.1% of the vote, then you get all the electors. But Maine and Nebraska are the only two states, I don't know why, where you get, if you win the popular vote in the state, let's just take Maine because Nebraska is going to go all Trump. So Maine has two senators and two congressmen. So they have four electoral college votes. If you win the popular vote in Maine, you get two electors and then you get one for each congressional district. So if you win the first congressional district, you get a pop, you get an elector. If you win the second, you get an elector. So Trump has been campaigning heavily, not just in Maine, but in Maine's first congressional district, which has a makeup that looks a lot more like New Hampshire, which is where he's also doing a lot of campaigning. So Trump is trying to not win four electors in Maine, But one, because that's how close it very well could be. Got a tweet here from Lynn. She says, if the election goes to the House, can't they choose anyone? I didn't think it had to be candidates on the ballot. So Lynn, that's what I thought, too. I was wrong when I I first did my research on this. I assumed that if it goes to the House, then meaning if neither candidate gets to 270, whether they both get 269 going into it. Oh, just one last weird anomaly. If Evan McMullen were to win Utah, which probably won't happen, but um, that can change something. That could really keep both under 270. So if that happens, it goes to the House. Or if there's some faithless electors, which bring a candidate under the 270 that they thought they were going to get. Either way, if it goes to the House, I thought that the House could choose for anyone. So the House could like Ted Cruz or they could vote for, uh, John McCain or whatever, Paul Ryan, the house, the rules are the house can only choose amongst the top three electoral college vote getters. Now, a long time ago, people ran for president. There may be 10 people who won at least one electoral vote. Now it'll really, unless Evan McMuller wins Utah, uh, it's really the only people who are going to win any electors are Trump or Hillary. So the house has to choose between those two. If Evan McMullen wins Utah, then he would get six electoral college votes. And yes, then the house could choose between Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton, or Evan McMullen. Probably not going to happen. Um, so really they only have those top two choices. So the house would pick the president and then the Senate would pick the vice president. So there very well could be a situation if the Senate War Democrat then a Republican who in the House. Of Republicans could elect a Republican president, and the Senate owned by Democrats could elect a Democratic vice president. Right? That could happen. Won't in this, but it could. Now, one last thing about this, the House: there's 535 congressmen, but if it goes to the House, each congressman doesn't get one vote. Each state gets one vote. So what would happen is the 53 congressmen in California would get together. They would all vote amongst themselves. A majority of they them. Would vote for Hillary. So California, one vote for Hillary. The congressmen in Texas, all 38 of them would get together. Excuse me, 36 of them would get together. And they would vote. And a majority of them would vote for Donald Trump for president. So the state of Texas, one vote for Donald Trump. And we do that for all 51 states, including D.C. Um, Now, the uh, Republicans control 35 states. Democrats only 15 in DC, so it's not even close. So, the, so, so if it does get thrown to the house anyway, uh, Donald Trump will be the next president. And that has happened twice before in our history and has almost happened four other times. So that's not totally out of the realm of possibility. It's happened before. Crazy, right? I think that's enough electoral college stuff. Does so all that makes sense? I think that's a good little uh, good introduction there. Again, if there's any questions, Lynn, thank you for that question. I hope that uh, was a clear answer. Slater Radio on uh, Twitter. Slater Radio. Now, I want to chat about a, the, uh, this, the, the FBI thing. You already know all the details about it. We don't need to go over that. I want to talk about why it matters. It's what Scott Adams has called the fake because. The reason the FBI thing is important is, first of all, of course, the timing. All the last 18 months of scandals and drama won't make a lick of difference to the undecided voter. We have short memories. All the undecided voter is going to think about is what has happened let me, let me like this. They're only going to think of their initial reaction to when they found out the candidates were running, and just their their initial general thoughts on each candidate, and the most recent thing they heard. Those are the only two things that undecided voters will keep in mind when they go into the polls about the candidates. And then the third thing is, how is how is the economy going in, in my life, good or bad? If it's bad, it's for Trump. If it's going good, they're going to vote for Hillary, right? But those are the three things that people take into consideration when they walk into the polls. So the last eighteen months of scandal, Alicia Machado, uh, this, that, whatever. Like I don't, I can't even name them, right? There, there's so many. Was, they were all, most of them are stupid, and no one cares. And certainly, the undecided voter, like th- those, don't make a lick of difference. All people remember is their initial reaction because we all make split second initial decisions on everything. And then the most recent thing that happened. Now, here's why I think the FBI thing will make the biggest difference. It's a fake because you got 40, 40, 20, 40% of the people roughly are of Trump, 40% Hillary, 20% undecided. Now, I don't think those 20% undecided were ever really undecided. I don't think anyone's really undecided. I think they knew what they were going to do from the jump. They just haven't come to terms with it. For themselves. Or they can't admit it out loud. For whatever reason. Or... They like, the, uh, they like to be pursued. Right? They like the special feeling that they get by saying, oh, yeah, I'm an undecided voter. Ah, like everyone, like, like, oh, my gosh, an undecided voter. and got to pay a lot of attention to them. Right? They like that feeling, so they say they're undecided. But I don't think anyone's really undecided deep down. Now I'm going to say this next sentence here, and, and uh, there's an asterisk at the end of it. Most of the undecideds have been voting for Trump all along. And they were always going to vote for Trump since the very beginning. Not all. Most. What do I mean by most? 60%. And that's all it does to totally swing the election. If the undecideds, the quote-unquote undecideds, which make up about 20% of the electorate. If they swing Trump 60-40, it's over. And what these undecided, quote-unquote, voters have been looking for is a Because. They've been looking for a justifiable reason, a reasonable reason that they can say out loud why they're voting for Trump. Deep down, they know why they're voting for Trump. Deep down, they, they like an outsider. They like a businessman. These are all the initial reasons why people were excited about Donald Trump running. Right? No special interest because he's rich, a businessman, um, he's a celebrity, and he's an outsider, and he's just going to blow everything up in D.C. and start over. But that's why people deep down like the idea of Donald Trump. So that's the reason why most of the undecideds were always going to vote for him the whole time, but they couldn't say it out loud for a bunch of different reasons. But now the FBI has given them a reasonable reason something they can say out loud as to why they're voting for Donald Trump in polite company and not be criticized for it. So now someone can say I'm voting for Trump because Hillary is under FBI investigation. That is a reasonable, justifiable thing that someone could say out loud and not be attacked. It is more difficult for a undecided voter, quote unquote, to say, I'm voting for Donald Trump because he wants to ban Muslims. What? You're a racist. You're a bigot. You're a bu-bu-bu. I want to vote for Donald Trump because because um, he has uh, strong immigration policies. Oh, you're a racist. You're a bigot. Bu-bu-bu-bu-bu. Now, you may be willing to say that because you're in the 40% of Trump supporters or or conservative or Republican or whatever. So you can stand by that and you'll gladly say out loud, I like his Muslim policy. But the 20% of people in the country, they're like, "Ah, I don't want to say it out loud. I want to be liked. I don't want to be controversial. I I really like it, but I'm not going to say it out loud. Right? Right? But now they can say, I'm supporting Donald Trump. I'm going to vote for him. Maybe not supporting him, but I'm voting for him because I can't vote for someone who's under FBI investigation." It's called a fake because. And I think that's why you've seen the major swing these last few days. And I think that's why on the only poll that matters on November 8th, when they really have to make a final gut last decision, a majority of the undecideds will vote Trump and that'll swing the whole thing. But we'll see soon enough. 1-888-933-93. Slater Radio on Twitter. Mike Slater. So the Blaze Radio Network spread the word.
4: Mike Slater.
1: We'll continue in a moment. On the Blaze Radio Network.
3: i just want to talk about hubris coming up next but just final thought on the fbi and their investigation you've heard everyone say a million times that they were not they, they had to do something so i'm not going to do that analysis they had to do something because if the fbi didn't announce anything and then two months from now they indict her after she was elected president everyone's gonna say whoa, whoa, whoa what, did, what did you know when fbi and they're like oh yeah we knew what this all along and you didn't come out with anything Right, so they had to come out at least say something. I think this is kind of what Comey did in July as well. He's saying, listen, we're not going to recommend indictment, American people, but listen to what I am saying. <laughs> listen beyond just to the words and then to beyond the words to what I'm trying to tell you. Do not elect this person commander in chief. Are you with me? We're not going to recommend indictment. But do the right thing. I think that's what he was doing in July, and I think that's what he did the other day as well. Now, Democrats, they can blame Republicans or Comey for what's going on with Hillary and her emails and, and the Clinton Foundation, but it's their fault. It's absolutely their fault. The Democratic leadership, whether they were paid off or repaying favors or in their own personal obsession, they needed Hillary to win. So they looked past all the other obvious problems. So they cast aside any criticism of her emails. James Carville said it doesn't amount to a hill of beans. Okay. Even Bernie Sanders. Remember one of the first debates? He said, no one gives a darn about your emails. Right. So they're the ones who cast it aside. Well, I'll tell you the FBI cares. And same thing with the Clinton Foundation stuff. Everyone knew what was going on. The Democrats in power knew they ignored it, hoping no one else would find out. Rich Lowry drew an important distinction between Hillary and Trump. I think it's right. Trump, with all of his issues, and he's got many, he's the result of a popular wave of support. He's the result of a plurality of members of the Republican Party voting for him. He won in spite of Republican elites. Republican elites did everything they could in their power to make sure he didn't win, but he still did. Hillary's the opposite. The people didn't want her to win. But the Democratic elites did everything they could to drag her across the finish line. It's the exact opposite, isn't it? The Democrats in charge, the elites, they they thought Hillary was the obvious choice, even though she's never won a seriously contested election in her life. They thought people would vote for her just because she's a woman, right? Even though no one likes her. And they know that no one likes her. Look at all these WikiLeaks emails. They all complain about how unlikable she is. But they kept propping her up. And it's wild. I have no idea why they didn't support someone like a Cory Booker, for instance. Cory Booker, former mayor of New York, New Jersey. He's now a senator from New Jersey. He's a young, charismatic, bright, sharp guy. A Democrat. I disagree with almost everything. But that would have been a tough person to beat. They went with the opposite. Of a Cory Booker, they went with someone with massive legal and likability issues, and they didn't care. So while Trump won in spite of the Republican elite's wishes, Hillary won in spite of the people's desires. And they're facing the consequences of that right now. And gosh, even if she does win, nothing's gonna nothing's gonna get done. <laughs> I mean, the, the the Supreme Court is the big would be the biggest problem, but no bills would be jammed through a. Republican House Republican Senate so they and they they did that that's their fault if they did have like a Cory Booker or someone like that even a Joe Biden then the Democrats would be able to do something productive but they jammed her down (laughs) the people's throats and uh, well I think she'll be rejected in a couple days but we'll see see. coming up next want to talk about hubris pride before the fall it always happens people will never learn but it always comes back around chat about that next Slater radio on twitter mike slater show the blaze radio network spread the word
4: you're listening to mike slater
3: part of the
1: next generation of talk radio on
4: the blaze radio network
1: Slater in three, two, one. You are listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network.
3: Slater, because that is America's the greatest country in the world. Happy Saturday! Thank you for being here. Oh gosh, it's going to be crazy week. Uh, if you're just tuning in now, we kicked off the show talking about the Electoral College, why our founding fathers put it there, how it works, a uh, couple of the wonky details about it. And how it could very much come into play on Tuesday. Uh, real quick, I see three scenarios happening: one candidate wins the popular vote but loses the Electoral College, sort of what happened in two thousand. I see that happening. Um, I see neither candidate getting to two seventy. That's within the realm of possibility. But even more likely than that is one of the candidate gets just candidates gets just above two seventy. But sometime between now and December 19th, when the electoral electoral college votes, a few of those electors abstain, don't vote for the candidate who just got above 270, and then dumps the candidate below the 270 threshold, and then it goes to the House of Representatives. All of those scenarios are within the realm of possibility, and we talked about how that all works at uh, the top of the show. Right now, though, I want to talk about hubris. Hubris. Oh, real quick, by the way, sorry, go to dot com 2702to, dot com, and they have an interactive map right there. You can click around on all the states and figure out all the different arrangements, and you can see how easy it is to even get to 269, 269, or to have Hillary or Trump win by just a few electors, which is why Trump, as we said earlier, is or has been, is still campaigning in, in the first congressional district in Maine because he's hoping, up, he's hoping that he can pick up that one elector in Maine. It's crazy, right? But it, they know it's going to be that close. So 270 to win.com. You can spend a couple minutes there. It's kind of fun. So I want to talk about hubris. Hubris is the character trait that brings down all the greatest heroes in mythology and uh, great stories and in real life, too. And it will bring down the Clintons. Eventually. It always does. It may be too late for us. Right, Uh, Like a lot of damage may be done. But in the end, hubris will always be the downfall. I want a quote from Austin Bay. It's a longer quote, but I like it. He said, according to Clinton operative Nera Tandon, this is in uh, a WikiLeaks email, Hillary set up her illegal server system because she thought she could evade Freedom of Information Act laws and managed to get away with it. Tandon wrote to Podesta, why didn't they get this stuff out like 18 months ago? So crazy. Unbelievable, Podesta replied. I guess I know the answer. They wanted to get away with it. In a Greek tragedy, trying to get away with an overt ethical violation is an act of hubris. Watch out, pitiful human. Commit hubris and you insult the gods. Once you insult the gods, to heck with a logical plot. When you insult the gods, the gods themselves may destroy you. Now anything can happen, from the subtle to the surreal. Why, the committer of hubris might do something depraved, like unknowingly marry his mother. Ask Oedipus. Or, like, she might have her national security crimes exposed by a sexting pervert. After she thought her political media machine and the Clinton Foundation had managed to control or corrupt every potential threat to your presidential coronation, even the FBI. (laughs) Either one of those downfalls. That's that's Austin Bay talking about hubris. And it reminded me of uh, a cool story out of uh, ancient Viking mythology. Because there's plenty of of, uh, stories of hubris that we've all heard in Greek and Roman mythology. But uh, no one really pays much attention to Nordic mythology, which is equally cool. Um, here's the abbreviated version of the story. So Thor. Yes, the Thor from comic books. Thor. He, but this isn't a comic book story. This, is, this goes back thousands of years. So Thor is on an adventure. And he comes across a, a giant who is one of the gods. He doesn't know he's one of the gods. But the giant, he comes across the giant anyway. And the giant says, you cannot pass unless you beat me in a contest. So Thor's like, okay. The first was a meat-eating contest. So Thor eats as much meat as he possibly can as quickly as he can. And then he looks over at the giant who takes an animal and takes it down in one giant gulp. Bones and all. And Thor's like, oh, can't beat that so then the giant says okay how about a foot race so thor runs as fast as possible but the giant takes one giant stride and beats him to the finish line and then they engage in a drinking contest and thor he took three giant gulps out of a large horn but the water barely dropped an inch Then a strength competition. Thor was challenged to try and lift a cat off the ground. Easy. But he couldn't do it. Not even a paw. And then finally a wrestling match. And Thor said, gosh, I can't beat you in a wrestling match. And and the giant said, no, no, not me. That woman. And there's this frail, elderly woman that appears. And Thor's like, oh, I can do this but she brought him to his knees in seconds. So Thor finally gives up, right? You <laughs> just demoralizing That is like, like, oh, all right, I'm out. And the giant reveals that he's a god and that each contest was rigged. That the eating contest and the foot race, Thor was actually competing against wildfire, which consumes everything it touches. Thor couldn't beat that. And then the god revealed that the horn that Thor drank from was actually connected to the ocean. There's no way he could drink it all. That cat that he tried to pick up, that was in fact a serpent that that encircles the entire planet. No way can you lift it. And that old woman who you tried to wrestle, that woman was time itself. No one can beat time. Thor got angry raised his hammer to kill the giant. Just like that, the giant and everything around him disappeared. And Thor was alone in in a desert. Now this is a pivotal moment right here in Thor's life because he could have gone either way. He could have rebelled and continued to fight the impossible battles against nature, wildfires, disease, old age. He could have fought against these truths. Or he could have decided to accept them. Work with them. And fight for the things that are in his control. Thor chose that. And that's why he ended up being a good guy. But the reason I thought of this story. Is because your sins will will always catch up to you. And. You can fight against truth. All day long. But it will always smack you in the face. My favorite poem is the gods of the copybook heading. And I've always said one day, I want to just go through the poem. Today's not the day, but please do it yourself. If you got a little time, sometime today or whenever? It took me about a half an hour. I'll be honest. It took, it took me a half an hour with three of my buddies, and we went through it. We were on a long car trip. We were super bored. And we, I was like, guys, this came up. I, I Rudyard Kipling came up. somehow, And I, someone quoted Rudyard Kipling. And I was like, guys, this is a Rudyard Kipling poem that I've read once, and I have no idea what it means. I don't, I don't get a word of it. I I literally don't understand one word of this poem. It's written in English. I don't get a word of it. So we're like, all right, we got like four hours. So we whipped it out and read it and broke it all down. And it is spectacular. And the whole gist of the poem is we think we're so smart. (laughs) So we come up with our own schemes. And then reality smacks us in the face. And then we, we, we think we're smart again. And we come up with our own plans. And reality smacks us in the face. And then we think that we're above truth. We've come up with new truths. And then the real truth smacks us in the face. It brings us back down again. And we keep doing it over and over and over again. The gods of the copybook headings. Please read it if you've got some time um, and break it down. It's great. So these sins, they'll catch up to you. Whether it's Wiener's sex addiction or Hillary's power addiction, her hubris thinking she can get away with everything they catch up to you and it seems like you get away with them and you, away with it and you get away with it and you get away with it and you get away with it and you may you get away with it you get away with it but in the end you won't one way or the other and people will be well, I'm not saying it doesn't make a big deal I'm not saying people won't get hurt I'm not saying bad things won't happen I'm not saying Hillary's not going to win and elect horrible people to the Supreme Court which will have drastic impacts on, on on our grandkids I'm not oh please bad things will still happen but it'll come around to them too Always does. It's hubris. This is why our founding fathers stressed not how amazing the Constitution is, not how perfect the Declaration of Independence is, but how important individual virtue and honor is. They said, listen, you, listen, Charlie, listen, Mike, 240 years from now, this is a good Constitution, but it ain't worth nothing if you don't live a virtuous life. They knew that pride comes before the fall. So will Hillary's fall be on Tuesday? I don't know. But it'll happen. One eighty-eight nine 93 Now I gotta take a break, but I'll do the opposite story next. Mike Slater show the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word.
4: You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network.
3: all right let's share the flip side here let's share a nice story it's out of georgetown university it started around a a man named o'neill bachelor so o'neill is an immigrant from jamaica came to america when he was about 20 and he wanted to open up his own business but he had no money so he said all right i gotta start from the bottom in his own words said, i gotta start from the bottom so he became a janitor at georgetown university now imagine this he's 20 years old and he was the night janitor. So he's up all night cleaning cleaning up after other 20-year-olds or kids younger than him. But like, but like, like, like same age basically, right? He says when he first came to America, he had a huge chip on his shoulder. It's like, he wasn't glad to be working at the bottom. He had his dreams. He said, listen, I got to do what I got to do. And after the end of his first year of being a janitor, he became so thankful to be in America, to have a job. And he realized that God placed me here for a reason. So he got up and worked every night. Quote, what drives me is my mom, my daughter, and my wife. A couple of times my mom couldn't pay her bills and I saw her crying. It hurts sometimes when a son sees his parent go through certain things and can't help her. Because he has his own responsibilities. But if my business comes up to to where I want it to be, she won't have to work anymore. And sometimes I lack self-confidence. I tend to listen to other people's negativity. Some friends say, yeah, your food, it tastes good. But I don't see it as a business. I need to learn to block all that out and just have faith in God and believe in my own dreams and potential. My mom always told me that everybody has their time. If you're patient, your time will come. I've been praying about it. I know my dreams will come to pass. So real quick timeout, do you see how this is the opposite of what I was talking about in the last segment? So the last segment, hubris, my point was uh, if you live that life, your time will come. Your time will come. There, your fall will come. Pride comes before the fall. This is the flip side. This is this guy saying, listen, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to do what I need to do. And my mom says that my time, if I'm patient, my time's going to come. So he would clean out dorm rooms and common areas um, at Georgetown. And there was one study area, like one little part of the library, that he would clean. And he would do this for the first couple of weeks, and he was totally ignored by the kids in there studying late at night. And then a couple of weeks later, they, they would nod to each other. And then a couple of weeks later, they would smile. And then a couple of weeks later, they would talk. And then learn a little bit more. And then they'd look forward to seeing each other. And some students learned about his story, and they set up a Facebook page about him and about his business or his cooking. That one day he wants to turn into a business. And now he's a star on campus. Students pay him to cater parties and events on campus all the time. So here's my first lesson. If he did not embrace going to work every day and embrace being where, as he put it, where God placed him, then he never would have met those kids in that study area, never would have struck up a conversation. And he never would have you know, gotten publicity to start this catering business. You got to have grit. You just have to grind through and never stop. That's the characteristic of successful people that all successful people have in common, grit. Uh, on my local show, we do a segment every Monday. We have a different um, biographer on to talk about someone who, um, someone great. And I ask for three characteristics that define this person that we can apply to our lives. And every single week, nearly. Someone says perseverance or grit. says so something along perseverance. That's it. that's it. That's the, that's the one common characteristic of all successful people. And O'Neill bachelor is no different grit. Second thing, the American dream, the last debate viewing party we had a couple of weeks ago at my, my, my uh, local station here in San Diego, there were about 50 people in the room. And during our focus group afterwards, we talked about the American dream and whether or not it's dead, It's not dead. It's dying, but it's not dead. As long as there are people in this country like O'Neill who want to start a business, it's not dead. But the problem is, let's say O'Neill wants to sell chicken. He's got to get a government license to prepare food from five different bureaucracies, right? And that costs, I'm making this stuff, like $5,000 and it takes nine months. And then he's got to get an inspector come by. And they find that he's not, uh, he's not using the right kind of utensils. And they find him $1,000. Then they realize that the kitchen he's cooking in is out of his apartment. And that's not up to code for commercial food service. So he's got to find a commercial kitchen, which costs hundreds of thousands of dollars. Or he can rent out a space, but it's clear across town. And he doesn't have a proper license for transporting food to Georgetown University. And then someone gets sick eating his food. And he's sued. So he's got to have the super expensive insurance, et cetera, et cetera. You get the idea, right? So the dream will always be there. But people believe the dream is dead today because the government seems like they're always around the corner ready to crush it. That's our frustration. And that's why we want government to get out of our lives. So that we can let these dreams thrive. I got a couple minutes here. Let me tell one more quick story. There's someone running for Congress here in San Diego. His name's James Veltmeyer. I never heard of this guy. First time he's ever run. He's running in a, a, a gerrymandered Democrat district against a longtime incumbent Democrat. So I really I never heard of him. the other day we had local candidate show where people could call in to get three minutes running for any office, water board, school board, dog catcher, whatever. So this guy calls in. He's like, oh, I'm running for Congress. Like, OK, great. turns out he's the chief of family medicine at a major hospital here in San Diego. I'm intrigued. And he starts telling a story. I said, what are you talking about? I said, you're you're making all this up. Are you, are you a crazy person? And I I Googled his, name. I'm not even kidding. I Googled his name to make sure that he's really, he really was the chief of family medicine at Grossmont Hospital. (laughs) Like, how could that be? How would it, what? I'll tell you the quick of it. I only got 60 seconds. He grew up in Ecuador. His father left him and his uh, three brothers and his mom. They were dirt poor. He was begging for money. He wouldn't eat for days. And all they ever ate was bread. If they ever found any. So he was just a beggar. He and his family living on the streets in Ecuador. His cousin that he didn't even know he had lived in America, came to Ecuador to try and find her family, happened to turn down a back alley and literally tripped over James and his three siblings who were sleeping in this back alley with the only thing they owned, which was a white sheet. Literally, like literally tripped over them and said, oh, excuse me, I'm sorry. And they realized that they were related. Two years later, James got a student visa come to America. Ten years later, his mom legally, just like him, came to America. And now he's the chief of family medicine at a major hospital here in San Diego. Like, what? And he's like, people, you got to get it through your, through your heads here in America. You don't want to go the way of big government. I lived that. It's hopeless. It crushes dreams. And James says, I'm the living embodiment of the American dream of what it could be. But I see it getting taken. I see it being crushed. I see it being eroded. We have to fight to get it back. Slater Radio on Twitter, one 3393 Mike Slater, show the Blaze Radio Network.
1: Somewhere. Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network.
3: Slider Crusaders. We have a new video up on our Facebook page. You can search for the Mike Slater Show on Facebook. A couple predictions about what's going to happen the day after the election if uh, Trump wins. Uh, the short of it is everything, the Democrats will do everything that they've criticized Donald Trump for doing or saying. They, they will then do them. Um, just a quick example. Right when this latest of Hillary's emails and James Comey, the whole thing broke, we predicted, and I don't, I'm not... Praising myself is obvious. Uh, that they're going to just rip Comey to shreds. It's it's Saul Linsky Rule Twelve: pick the target, freeze it, personalize it, and polarize it. And and it's amazing the uh, well. Here, this is David Burge. He said the FBI finds six hundred fifty thousand Hillary State Department emails on a PC of a pervert directly related to her team. And the headlines: Comey embroiled in controversy. <laughs> Right so it's kind of like well, something we talk about a lot if a if a republican does something bad the story is about the republican doing the bad thing if a democrat does something bad the story is about republican's reaction to the democrat doing the bad thing like it's kind of similar to this like it's like somehow the media made this about Comey and they've even thrown in sexism which is great he's a sexist he's doing everything he can to prevent a woman from becoming president they got to throw that in here's why actually this is worth taking a second one They can't say that Comey, the head of the FBI, is doing everything to prevent her from becoming president. Because then people ask, why? Well, so they say, oh my gosh, Comey's doing everything he can to prevent her from becoming president, or to prevent Hillary from becoming president. People would say, oh, why? And then if you just, I mean, like, you can't answer that any other way than, well, because she did illegal things. (laughs) But... If someone says, Comey's preventing a woman from becoming president, that's the answer as to why he's doing that right there, because she's a woman. If you, if you, right? Does that make sense? Comey's preventing Hillary from becoming president. Well, why? Why is, why, is, why is he doing that? Oh, maybe it's because she's a lying criminal. Okay. But now, oh, Hillary, or Comey's doing everything he can to prevent a woman from becoming president. Oh, he's sexist. Yeah, he's sexist. Right, so that's how they've been spinning this. It's great. And it's just, it's just Larry said in July, Comey, when, when he suggested not indicting her, Comey was the pinnacle of justice and truth. How dare conservatives criticize him in any way? And now he did something they don't like and he's the worst person in the world. <laughs> it's funny, right? Another, um, so, sorry, there's just so much to talk about. I didn't know where to go next. My favorite criticism from the left about all this is that Comey is politicizing the investigation and that the FBI is tipping the scales in favor of Trump. Okay. That's, that's my favorite argument. The FBI is getting involved in politics. They're tipping the scales in favor of Trump. But we know that Loretta Lynch, who is, who is the head of the Department of Justice, the woman who met with Bill Clinton in his plane during the investigation about the Clinton Foundation, you know, to talk about grandkids and stuff. She tried to get the FBI and Comey to not release the new information. Okay, So Comey wanted to release the information, which would tip the scales of the race, and the left is freaking out. Loretta Lynch did not want to release the information, which is also tipping the scales of the election, this time in favor of Clinton, of course, by not revealing the information, But like, and, and they would be okay with that. So, right, do you see how either way, revealing the info or not revealing the info, either way is affecting the election? So the Democrats are trying to do this, like, we're on our holy high horse here by saying, oh, the FBI should not be involved. Oh, they shouldn't be politicized, and they shouldn't release any information. It might tip the scales. Yeah, well, not releasing the information tips the scales as well. You just don't care because it's in your favor, which is fine. I get it, but just don't pretend to do this whole self-righteous, oh, my gosh. And it goes back to what we said at the end of the last hour. Don't blame, call me for this. Don't blame Republicans. Hillary, you did this. You did this. And the Democrats covered it up and and, and dragged you across, well, I was going to say the finish line. We're not quite there yet, but have been propping you up the whole time. You guys have, you knew the whole time. Like, I love it when the left is saying, um, oh, Comey, you need to release the emails you have, right? Release the information. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hillary, why don't you release the information? <laughs> right? This is the whole point. The whole point, the whole, only reason we're here is because you never released your emails. The whole reason we're here is because you hid them in the first place. So don't yell at Comey like he's the bad guy for not releasing them. You should have released them a long time ago and none of this would be happening. To go back to my point about not releasing it and how that also tips the scales, we've, we always say that the greatest form of bias in the media is not what they say, it's what they don't say. It's what they leave out. It's what they ignore. It's been hilarious to watch uh, Fox and CNN just these last couple of days. Scott Adams says that if you watch Fox, you would think that the FBI just just took down the head of a criminal organization. And if you want Trump to win, you got to watch Fox News because he's killing it over there. But if you want Hillary to win, then you got to watch CNN because she already won, right? If you, if you watch CNN, it's over. Nah, there's no way Trump can win, and it's done. And uh, it's weird though because CNN like barely ever mentions Hillary Clinton anymore. Have you noticed that? Turn over to CNN, they never mention her anymore. It's all about uh, Barack Obama and Michelle Obama, and now Jay Z and Beyonce. Like Hillary's like they never ever even bring her up, which is odd because you know, she's running for president. Right? So it's like a different world. So if you, want, if you want Clinton to win, you just watch CNN and, and it's already in the bag. So There's different universes here. But anyway, it's what the media doesn't say that's the biggest bias. So if that's true, which it is, then the greater bias isn't the FBI releasing information. The greater bias is the Justice Department not releasing information. That's the bigger bias. Withholding information is always the bigger lie. It's also the job of the media to not play this game of when is the right time for the American people to know stuff. What's what's the appropriate time of day or time of the year or day of the week for us to release this information? Now, the media's job is to report it as soon as they know it. Just keep this in mind every time, every time you hear someone on the left or someone in media talk about how uh, this is uh, a threat to our democracy or uh, it's it's ripping the fabric of our democracy. (laughs) They don't care about democracy. What they really mean is that the FBI is endangering the prospects of Hillary winning they don't care about democracy, not one lick. And I get it. Like, I, like, I, like I, it's fine. <laughs> of course they wouldn't. It's just the fact that we, we continue to go along with the premise that they do. one eight hundred one eight eight nine hundred thirty three ninety three 933 93 Slater Radio on Twitter. Mike Slater Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word.
4: You're listening to Mike Slater. On the Blaze Radio Network.
1: Part of the next generation of talk radio, this
3: is Mike Slater. It's not Did you hear uh, the speech from Peter Thiel the other day? Monday, Tuesday, I think. So Peter Thiel, one of the early investors in Facebook, co-founder of PayPal with Elon Musk, a billionaire. He spoke at the RNC. Remember he spoke at the convention right before Trump. And he's a super interesting character even like beyond the election, but even more intriguing because he's a vocal supporter of Donald Trump. And he's one of the only people in his world in Silicon Valley who can be a vocal supporter. Because he's so rich, <laughs> he doesn't care, and he's so brilliant. The tech companies who have him on their board, like he's on the Facebook board, they can't afford to to kick him off. right? They can't afford to hate him or persecute him and isolate him like they could anyone else who supports Trump. So he's, in the, he's got the leverage, he's got the upper hand, and he is just all in the Trump train. Let me give you an example of uh, someone who does get criticized. So so Trump uh, – maybe Eric Trump or Trump Jr., I forget, visited – was it Yingling Brewery in, in Pennsylvania, I think? And the president of the brewery put a Facebook picture of him and, and Trump Jr., or whoever, uh, and, and wrote like, hey, you know, Eric Trump visited the brewery today and – We hope his dad wins. And now there's this fake social media outrage to boycott the brewery and blah, blah. And Politicians in Pennsylvania have jumped on it and said, oh, we're boycotting the oldest brewery in America because they're in bed with Trump and let's shut him down. Right? That kind of thing. No one's doing that to uh, Peter Thiel. (laughs) Peter Thiel's like, ah, I'm worth billions. Whatever. Even on on, on local levels, I'm I'm sure there's situations like this in your town. We have... um, someone who is the mayor of a small town here in San Diego. She runs a business she's running for. So she's mayor. And now she's running for uh, County board of supervisors and she's running against someone. And the guy who she's running against is, is attacking her business. All right? She runs a physical therapy business. It's nothing to attack, but they're, they're attacking her business uh, to try to prevent her from winning. It's, this is why business people don't run for office and this is even not even running for office. This is why business people don't get involved in politics like they should. It's, it's always been amazing to me when almost every American says one of the biggest problems with our economy is too many regulations, but not enough business people ever step up and talk about the regulations. Every couple of days, we'll get a businessman who calls into my show and, and uh, gives me an example of some goofy regulation that an inspector just came down on them on or something that just passed Sacramento that no one's heard of, and people don't get it. It's like, what are you talking about? Like, that's the dumbest regulation I've ever heard in my life. A right, quick example. Someone just called in yesterday or this week and said um, they, they run a Baskin-Robbins. Okay, and they wanted to put two small tables outside of the front of the Baskin Robbins. Okay, it was getting too busy inside. They wanted to put two bit, two tables out front. The city said, okay, but you have to also pay for an awning, a street light, sidewalk repairs, widening of the street, blah 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 blah. It, it would have cost them eighty thousand dollars. So the Baskin Robbins guys like, all right, fine, we're out. Okay, we're not. <laughs> right, they just wanted to put two tables outside. It would have been nice for everyone, right? You go get ice cream, sit outside, enjoy your ice cream. Eighty thousand dollars. What the heck? Most people don't know. And that's just a silly, tiny example, but most people don't understand the, 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 the slightest of it. I don't know why businessmen don't speak up more like Peter Thiel's doing. Maybe it's because, as Milton Freeman said, there's a big difference between businessmen and capitalists. And Peter Thiel's a capitalist. Businessmen... There, there's a big difference, Milton Friedman said, between being pro-business and pro-capitalism, right? Businessmen, they like to get favors from politicians. Protections, tariffs, subsidies, tax breaks, whatever. That's cronyism. Businessmen can be cronyists. Very few people are capitalists. And that's why I have so much respect for, like, the Koch brothers. The Koch brothers will have their conventions with the country's richest and most successful businessmen. And they get up there in front of all these businessmen who definitely have different arrangements with the government uh, to get different favors here, contracts here, whatever. And the Koch brothers get up and say, guys, you got to stop. You got to stop with the cronyism. Stop getting in bed with government. Stop lobbying. Stop bribing. Stop getting favors. It looks like you win on the short term. It feels like you win on the short term. But in the not so long run, government's going to get so big They may help you now, but they will crush you tomorrow. Stop empowering government. But anyway, the point is business people don't get involved. That's a shame because they need to. Look at the CEO of Mozilla. right, back in 2008, he gave $1,000 to support traditional marriage in California. It's called Prop 8. And when people found out about it, what was it, like a year or two ago? Six years after the fact? He got fired from his job. Like, what? So so just because he supported traditional marriage, like what in the world? The goal is to create a chilling effect on any business people to get involved in anything ever. And we have so many business people who are scared to. So this is the context of Peter Thiel. And this is why I love hearing from him so much. Because he doesn't care. (laughs) He's so rich. He's so influential. He's so important to Silicon Valley. He doesn't care. He's untouchable. He can get up and say, listen, everyone. We got to elect this guy. And here are all the reasons why. And he makes a compelling case. He makes more of a compelling case than Donald Trump does. And we, we need more people, business people like him to do that. And I, I guess this goes back to another frustration I had of Trump is that he didn't even pull the businessman card as, as much as I would have liked. <laughs> right? He didn't give the insight that he could have. During this whole campaign. I I don't understand why. So the one of the best things he did in his campaign, no doubt. And I love it because we predicted this a year ago. um, And, and media people still didn't pick up on it uh, was the Washington DC hotel where he tricked the media into going to his new hotel. And then he said, Oh, Hey, by the way, everyone look at this new hotel I built under budget ahead of schedule. And then he went back to his hotel like a week or so ago, and the media's like, oh, Trump's taking a break from the campaign to go to his brand new hotel under budget and ahead of schedule. And it's like, no, you fools. He just played you. That is his campaign. <laughs> That's his campaign to get you there and talk about his new hotel, which is under budget and ahead of schedule. He has many different things like that that he's done in his career, including the uh, skating rink in Central Park and some others. He needed to do more of that. He needed to talk more about how government gets in the way of his business and other businesses and really highlight that for the American people because most people are employ- employees and just don't get it. We just don't because we've never been in that scenario. That, but we need more employers. And I think deep down Trump gets it and would do a good job for employers if he wins. We'll see in just a couple days. Mike Slater, show the Blaze Radio Network, spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater
1: on the Blaze Radio Network. From Mike Slater in 3, 2, 1. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network.
3: Hey, Slater, because that is America's the greatest country in the world. Saturday, thanks for being here. One more hour, show's flown. So, I want to talk about something here that is not specifically election related, although it, it is. It's a very illustrative of a much larger point to many other big topics. H.L. Mencken was a uh, writer, pundit in the early 1900s, and he said the whole aim of politics is to keep the populace alarmed and hence clamorous to be led to safety by menacing it with an endless series of hobgoblins all of them imaginary. So the whole point of politics is to scare people. That's the easiest way to lead someone is with fear. Politicians believe. So they got to scare you all the time, all with a series of hobgoblins, all of them imaginary. So in California, we have this crazy proposition system. We have an assembly and a state Senate that work all year long Every year they're paid over a hundred thousand dollars, and still, every election, we have dozens of propositions that the people vote on, and it's a really annoying process. and this year, there's 37 propositions. So literally they, they mail out a voter guide for these. It's like a phone book. They had to mail out three different books to every registered voter. I think every vote I think everyone. I think everyone in voter age or every registered voter. I think everyone. there's like these three phone books explaining what all the propositions are. It's a huge mess. So one of the propositions prop 65 and 67 is about banning plastic bags. Is this even a thing anywhere else across the country? Like is this, is it just a thing? Cause we're so goofy here in California and we're next to the ocean that like, it's like a thing. So for years, the cities have been banning little cities, little towns have been banning plastic bags at grocery stores. And it's like, what? So now there's a statewide ballot proposition to ban the plastic bag. It's so stupid. So I'm going to show you the other day. I mentioned how dumb this is. And I didn't even talk a lot about it, but I mentioned it. This is a huge waste of time and money and energy. It's so dumb. So someone called in and said, Oh, Slater. But what about the great Pacific garbage patch that's in the ocean? It's a huge, huge island of garbage, twice the size of Texas, you see? And it's 100 feet deep. And it's because of all these... These plastic bags. Don't you want to do something about it? And I said, No, I don't. <laughs> oh, but you must want to do something. <sighs> nah, no. Nope. It's funny. This is, uh, there's this desire that progressives uh, put out there that, that, we, that we always have to do something. Mostly to make themselves feel important. And then we follow along because we all want to be part of something. We always want to do something. This is how Obamacare was pitched. right? The number one argument from the left in 2009 was, but we have to do something. Right, So a conservative would say, well, this is a really bad idea. Yeah, but we have to do something. Well, we can't have this part of it. That's going to be a disaster. Well, no, no, we have to do something. And still today, this is why the Democrats keep saying that Republicans don't have a plan with Obamacare. Of course we have plans for health care. Of course we have plans. But they have to keep saying there's no plan, there's no plan, there's no plan, there's no plan, so that they can continue to cling to the talking point of, well, we have to do something, meaning Obamacare. It's amazing. No one ever asked if we should do the right thing. It just had to be Something. Anyway, didn't mean to get off topic. Point is, there is no great garbage patch twice the size of Texas floating in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Have you, have you heard of this before? Have you heard of this great Pacific garbage patch before? It's an imaginary hobgoblin meant to scare you to convince you to behave accordingly does not exist. At least it's not nearly what you've imagined in your mind. It's made up. It's a story. It's all meant to make you feel like we have to do something like ban plastic bags for no reason other than just to feel good about yourself in a super smug way. So here's a story about the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. It all started back in 1997. Charles Moore was competing in a two-week race in his catamaran. And he finished the race, and he was sailing back from Honolulu, to Santa Barbara, and he wrote about his thousand-mile journey through an endless field of plastic—three tons of it. He guessed. And he's like, "Gosh, there's so much plastic out there. It's—I it's, don't know. It's got to be the size of Texas." And that's all it took. This one guy. Such a guy writing about it and it became known as the Great Pacific Garbage Patch and then people said well it's, it's, it's over twice the size of Texas here's the San Francisco Chronicle a massive eternal swirling vortex of noxious garbage the size of a continent and the shape of death itself just floating out there in the middle of the Pacific Ocean mocking life humanity God <laughs> So what do you imagine when when I say the Great Pacific Garbage Patch? I imagine well, like a continent of garbage, right? Something that you could you could walk on, you could moor your boat up to it and walk across it. Just it's a massive floating garbage dump, and uh, naturally, every marine animal you can imagine is, is stuck in it, choking, dying, poisoned, all the rest. Right? All right, a couple of things. It doesn't exist. There's no. Scientific study done on its size, but, but more important, it's not a patch of garbage. It's not a, it's not a floating landfill, which is what they make you think. There's an area in the ocean where the currents swirl, right? Three different currents come together and create this big swirl. And in that current, there are tiny particles of plastic, tiny pieces of plastic floating around. And there's like a piece, a little tiny piece of, like a particle, like a BB, like, oh, a little piece of plastic over there. And then oh, look over there, another tiny piece of plastic. And there's another piece. Of, and yeah, every once in a while you may get like a bigger piece of plastic or like a fishing net from some Japanese fishing boat or something like that, or a buoy from, uh, from China or something it's like, oh, okay, there's a piece of, but like that's all throughout the ocean, but it's supposed to just pieces of tiny, tiny, tiny pieces of plastic. So the whole thing got so out of control that Charles Moore, the guy who started the whole thing, wrote a memoir in 19, uh, 2011. And this is what he wrote. He said, let it be said straight up that what we came upon was not a mountain of trash, an island of trash, a raft of trash, or a swirling vortex of trash. These are all media concocted embellishments of the truth. It would come to be known as the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, a term that's had great utility, but again, suggests something other than what's out there. It was and is a thin plastic soup. A soup lightly seasoned with plastic flakes. I was not a latter-day Columbus discovering a plastic continent. Whoops. Got an article here from from Slate. Super far left website. Headline, there is no island of trash in the Pacific, but the cause of clean oceans needed a good story. Our warming planet could use another one. Isn't that great? Meaning, we lied about the trash in the ocean, but, hey, listen, it spread the word about clean oceans, so it was good. We should make up another story about global warming. And justify the means, that's what that is. They write, it was as if the planet had swallowed up the greasy excess of consumer culture and then left a pool of vomit in the middle of the ocean. It was this false appraisal, this projection of collective guilt as a trash island that brought the problem of marine debris back into the public eye. It gave us all a way to comprehend or at least hallucinate what was otherwise a widespread microscopic devastation. Please, I'll end here. Please don't hallucinate over things that aren't real. Just just don't. I love it when people say, you know, um, people call in a lot to my show. Slater, I'm, I'm a conservative, but I'm also an environmentalist. I also want to take care of the planet. It's like, yeah, I do too. We all do. But don't be so ridden with guilt. You're not really hurting it that much. So like relax, just relax. You're fine. The great garbage patch, the hole in the ozone layer a few decades back, that was all fake imagery. Recycling is all based on entirely false premises. It's all done to make you feel guilty for being alive. It's all done to make you feel guilty for being prosperous, to make you feel guilty for living in America, for making you, uh, making you feel guilty for living in a capitalist system. That's what it is. Now listen, of course we want to be good stewards of the planet. It's a biblical principle. Of course we will, and we are. I just want you to be free of your guilt. You're fine. Drive your car, use plastic shampoo bottles, and heaven forbid, carry out groceries to your car using plastic grocery bags. It's okay. There is no pile of trash in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. If you Google Great Pacific Garbage Patch, you'll be a bunch of images of of uh, debris and garbage in the ocean. But look at those pictures carefully. You'll see land nearby. Well, it's not the middle of the ocean. <laughs> There's dirty water. I mean, one of the, the pictures that's most used to describe the Great Pacific Garbage Patch is... Uh, a picture of Japan after the tsunami in 2011. So there's like all this debris in the and they make it look like that's in the middle of the ocean. No, that's after a tsunami in Japan. Or they'll show you pictures of dirty waterways in India and stuff like that. Yeah, that's a huge problem. That's a huge problem. Go fix that. But banning plastic bags in California isn't going to fix dirty disgusting water in third world countries. <laughs> it's a totally different thing. Don't feel guilty. Isn't it funny? There's this thing that people have created in their minds, the great Pacific garbage patch without ever seeing it because there's no pictures of it because it doesn't exist. Quite the imaginary hop goblin indeed. How many other things have you been lied to like that? one 888 Slater radio on Twitter. Mike Slater show, the blaze radio network spread the word.
1: Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network.
3: So I know the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, like, who cares, right? Really, it's not part of your life. It's not part of this election. But you get the bigger principle there of how easy it is to manipulate people into believing in problems that don't exist. <laughs> right? I mean, that literally is not even a thing. It's an imaginary hobgoblin, as H.L. Mencken said uh, 100 years ago, referring to what the purpose of politics is. So don't be fooled by that stuff, because imagine they're, they're, they're everywhere. If if something as concrete as the Great Pacific Garbage Patch literally doesn't exist, and you should, have, I, when I did this on my local show, people freaked out at me. People freaked out. Could not fathom that what they believed is true and felt so passionate about isn't even a real thing. And there's got to be a ton of other things like that too. Good friend of mine, Joe, here in San Diego, is on the phone. What's going on, Joe?
2: He has. Uh, back, back. You talked about Mikey.
3: Yes, sir. I can hear you.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry about it. Uh, well, you know, just like No. 56, talk about propositions. <laughs> like, you know, if we have one here in San Diego with cigars. We're so, I'm selling cigars to babies, by the way. Of course, I mean, what we right now. So, <laughs> Wait, so is so, so yeah. is prop?
3: I forgot so, about this. Prop 56, just so everyone knows, it, it would increase the price of cigarettes by two dollars a pack. But does that affect cigars?
2: Absolutely, under 24%. So we have a rally at you know at my spot, so you know, I don't want to you know get you in trouble. Give, give the,
3: give the shout-out, Yankee Joe. Give the shout-out.
2: Oh, Liberty Tobacco in San Diego on, the, on 7341, because I'm on Mesa Boulevard and Ethan Allen Shopping Center. We have a rally going on over there to the stop this nonsense in Prop 56 because it's going to literally kill cigar shops where people choose to be, and we're not selling kid, uh, kids' cigars. Yeah, just let you know. So watch out, Jake. You know, i going to keep Jake away from the shop. But I mean, uh-huh. it's, it's ridiculous, and we're just getting crushed by. it. And you know, constantly every three years we get hit up more and more from new propositions. A couple of years ago, we had a proposition. I forget, was seventy something percent that uh, cigars are going to go up, and we constantly take it on the shin, And we actually they didn't finish counting the votes till I believe October. But it was months after the fact, and they were just trying to manipulate and keep manipulating the votes. So the thing is, government can be late, but you can't be late because your vote is going to give But you know, it's just uh, we're talking about manipulation. Man, it's not that hard to manipulate. When you say I remember people were just saying Mitt Romney's a other like, thing. and I talked to people back in New York, and people "I was like, what? Well, Romney's a racist? I was like, how's Mitt Romney a racist? I was like, well, he's a racist it's Like, what did he do specifically? What did he do racist besides have good hair? You know? I, mean, I don't know. <laughs> And if people just sit there, I was like, well, he, I was just like, but explain to me what did he? And he, there was just a myth of him being a yeah. racist, and, I, and it just blew my mind. And the thing is, though, is that every time Rodham knows, you know, Rodham, when I says Hillary Clinton, Rodham knows that all you have to say is racist, sexist, and you just chip away at votes. You're not trying to go. It's just like a jury. You're not trying to manipulate the whole jury. You're not trying to change the whole jury. You just want one yep. person's mind to change. And you do that times a thousand. And you say, well, you know. Joe says he's a racist. Well, you know, he's not a racist with no facts or figures, but it's an angry point and people get pissed off and you just grab people. By the way, and the thing is just like when people are just scared to say that they're, they're Trump supporters, why? Because there's this thing that's you're a racist, even though he's done nothing racist. I mean, you know, maybe he maybe said excuse me to a black person on the alley. And I'm black, by the way, so people freak out on Mikey. <laughs> but the thing is just, but it's, 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 it's a, it's a concept. And New York City is a great place for it. You, you call a person a racist. You lose a vote immediately. So, and yep. it's like here in Shamu, Shamu. You know, I, last I heard, I had to pass some some Kleenex out here. And you know, we're going to lose a Shamu show because of a lie.
3: Yes, a totally. Lie. Uh, let me tell thing. you, I'm so glad you brought that up, R- real quick. And, and again, this is a real, real quick example. So, I happened to go to the church with the lead, with the head trainer of um, the the killer whales at Shamu, and I asked him about Blackfish, and he go the the documentary against and he's like, uh, Mike. Just the whole thing. The whole thing about the sad fin. Oh, the, the killer whales in, the, in, uh, in SeaWorld of sad fins. It's like, it's, it's total nonsense. Um, and he said all the people in the documentary were people that were fired from SeaWorld for different reasons. They're all just disgruntled employees that made up this huge lie. And now SeaWorld ultimately will go out of business because of it, which is absurd.
2: It's just saying. And But just one okay, I, I plug. It. If you're in San yep. Diego, open CS, Liberty Tobacco. Because we're trying to stop the government nonsense, it will literally kill our business.
3: And, yeah. You know, okay. You'll have, Good they're stuff. Coming,
2: and they come after you later.
3: Oh, and they always will, right? If at first it's something that we don't like, right? That you, that some people don't like, like smokers, and then it's going to be after you as well. Every, every other bags. person. Yep, you're the man, Joe. Appreciate you, bro. Thanks, dude. Right. Actually, this is perfect timing. Uh, Flip, can you go to my Twitter page? I just, when Joe was uh, chatting there, tweeted a 33 second video of Bill Maher from. Um, I don't know when Bill Maher shows on, but it's a recent clip, right? It must have been just the other day. Um, Apologizing for how he treated Republican nominees in the past. Can you let me know, Flip, when you get that? All right, go ahead. Just play it right here.
1: I know liberals made a big mistake because we attacked your boy Bush like he was the end of the world. And he wasn't. And Mitt Romney, we attacked that way. I gave Obama a million dollars to throw a freighter Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney wouldn't have changed my life that much or no, yours. So or, absolutely or John McCain. They were honorable men who we disagreed right, with, and right. we should have kept it that way. So we cried wolf,
3: and that was wrong. But this is real. Yeah. This is going to be way different. And because I don't understand. Never, I don't. We can understand. stop it there. We can stop it there. Every, we, how many times have we said this? How many times have we said this last few weeks? Every four years we do this. Every four years, the current candidate is Hitler, evil, the worst person in the world. If only they were like the Republican nominee from four years ago, who was just the standard bearer of reasonable Republicanism. Every stinking four years. Mitt Romney was evil. Mitt Romney killed women. Mitt Romney fired a guy, bought a business, fired a guy, his wife had breast cancer, she died, he's responsible. Mitt Romney put a dog on the top of his roof. He's an animal killer. Mitt Romney, when he was in high school, had some buddies pin down a kid who may have been gay and cut his hair. He's a homophobe, the worst person to ever walk the planet, and it happens every four years, and in four years from now, the media is going to love Donald Trump if he loses. They're going to say, oh, Donald Trump, he believed in uh, maternity leave and uh, different trade policies and these other uh, you know, moderate positions and blah, 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 because the next guy in four years of Trump loses is going to be Hitler again. Stop falling for it. Goodness gracious. This
1: is Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio on
4: the Blaze Radio Network.
3: Mike Slater. Just on Joe's point, not only the racist side, but sexist too. So, Ash Snow asks a, a good point here. It's a uh, new book out. JFK and the Masculine Mystique. Uh, let me quote from her. She says, uh, in the book, Kennedy promised to revive the, the, the author says that Kennedy promised to revive the modern American man as youthful and individ, individual, individualistic, cool and vigorous, masculine and urban, tough-minded and athletic, and a sexual conquistador. Ash said, that's one way to describe a notorious philanderer who allegedly hosted prostitute hotel parties while president. So there's this strange glorification of the playboy lifestyle of JFK. And of course, the excusing of all the things related to Bill Clinton. Yet Republicans are the anti-woman party. Donald Trump. So, so uh, Jay-Z and Beyonce. Beyonce's disgusting. And Jay-Z is just as foul-mouthed as any rapper could be. They did a the big concert for Hillary in Ohio. And It's, it's hilarious. Like, like, go Google any Beyonce lyric in her new album. It's disgusting. It's it's the most filthy stuff you've ever read in your whole life. And then Jay-Z gets out there, throws the N-word, the F-word, all that stuff. And then Hillary walks out. And no, I'm not even Hillary. Hillary and Beyonce walk out. And they say, oh, Donald Trump, is that the role model you want for children? <laughs> it's like, what? What are you talking about? How can you possibly say such a thing? And Trump did that the next day or right after he said, no, it must have been yesterday. He's like, did you see... Beyonce and Jay-Z, gosh, Jay-Z said things up on stage I've never said in my life. And Hillary gets up there and is like, oh, Donald's rude, lewd comments. (laughs) It's amazing, that double standard. So every Republican is a misogynist pig when the left wants them to be. McCain was called a misogynist, sexist pig. Remember the story we shared a couple weeks ago? He was in uh, somewhere, I don't know, Idaho or Iowa, I don't know, some fair and he said, oh, I hear you uh, you, you all here have a, a beauty contest. My wife, she sure is beautiful, isn't she? Oh, she should be in that contest. Well, it turns out it was like a biker wet t-shirt contest. He didn't know. But they accused him of being a sexist pig for suggesting his wife should go dance topless. And in a It's like, come on. Mitt Romney was a stinking altar boy. But they were able to call him a misogynist pig because... Well, as I mentioned earlier, earlier he uh, bought this company. They fired some people. A guy lost his insurance. His wife died of breast cancer. Now he's a misogynist pig. And of course, remember, he was talking about in one of the debates. He said, uh, "Oh gosh, when I was a governor, when I became governor of uh, Massachusetts, I wanted to hire the most qualified women that were available. So I asked my advisors uh, to, to get uh, binders full of women." And we found the best candidates and we hired plenty of women for, for top level positions. And instantly Twitter was free. Oh, binders of women, binders full of women. Like what? So all Republicans are misogynist pigs when the left wants them to be. And all Republicans are sexist until they don't need them to be sexist anymore. Arnold Schwarzenegger, Arnold Schwarzenegger ran for governor in California, 2003. It was a huge, horrible mistake. (laughs) And I won't get into it now, but it was horrible. And the L.A. Times back in 2003, when they hated Schwarzenegger because he was a Republican, they wrote an article about his raunchy sexual behavior and how in 1977 he bragged about having anonymous sex with a black woman at a gym. I don't know why they needed to include the black part, but they did. This is another L.A. Times article. Reports of Arnold Schwarzenegger's sexual mistreatment and humiliation of women drew outrage on the campaign troll. So Schwarzenegger a sexual deviant. But now Schwarzenegger is this lefty environmentalist, and he's with our current governor, Jerry Brown, and they're traveling the state talking about how they're both gonna save the planet from, from humans and from carbon emissions. And now that Donald Trump says he's not, excuse me, now that Schwarzenegger said he's not voting for Donald Trump, he's now the gold standard of purity from Democrats. But it's funny, you know, the left They hate misogynist, sexist pigs, they say, unless they're making them a lot of money. It's funny, Access Hollywood had no problem with Trump or Billy Bush 11 years ago. No one had any problem with what Trump or Billy Bush said on that bus when they all heard it 11 years ago. Or whatever that was, how many ever years ago. And NBC had no problem with Donald Trump for the 14 seasons. When they were writing him big fat checks and NBC was making a ton of money with The Apprentice. But now it's time to take them all out. And even if Billy Bush has to go, even if he's collateral damage, whatever, you got to take Trump out at all costs. David Burge wrote that uh, the other day. He said, gosh, it's got to be high time for an official investigation into NBC executives and their 10 year cover up of employee sexual misconduct. Right. How could they allow Donald Trump to, to, to work there for so long? Being such a sexist pig. Now they're coming out and calling him such a sexist pig. Right. But when the guy's making him money, sexual harassment's no big deal. So Billy Bush had to be fired. Collateral damage. But Alec Baldwin's, he, he's the greatest person ever because he plays Donald Trump on SNL. So any of his sexual misconduct in the past, that's totally fine. And of course, Howard Stern on America's Got, Con- uh, America's Got Talent. It's funny. Everything he's ever d- said and done is fine. And I guarantee you, if Howard Stern ran for president as a Democrat, it would all still be fine. But Donald Trump is running as a Republican. And all the past appearances that he made on Howard Stern, he's ripped to shreds. Weird. Anyway, double standard, do I need to spell it? I mean, no, no, it's not breaking news. I guess i just say don't fall for it. Like, set your own objective standard of what is right is what is wrong and stick to it. Don't worry about the R or D at the end of the name. 1-888-900-3393. i am taking an early break here. I got a longer segment I want to do uh, coming up next. one 900 we will wrap up next. Slater Radio on Twitter. Mike Slater Show. The Blaze Radio Network spread the word.
4: This is Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network.
1: 888 3393
3: Mike Slater is on. Slater, we'll wrap up with this. Uh, I think last week I shared a, a story that I'll use as the intro to this, so I'll go quick. But uh, a couple weeks ago, two New Jersey high school football teams decided to do a tribute to law enforcement for the game. So they held a big American flag. Very nice. Uh, the ACLU came out and said that this display from the high school sent a Frightening message. The event is being used to intimidate and ostracize people who express their views about systematic racism and social justice. It's a frightening message. High school players holding up an American flag as a tribute to first responders. is frightening. Things are messed up. And that's why I think people, when faced with the ultimate choice, right, on Tuesday... Right? They're they're in the ballot booth. It's Trump or Hillary. All tie goes to Trump. You, you know what I'm saying? You know, in baseball, tie goes to the runner, right? Tie goes to Trump because people just want change and they're sick of this and a vast majority. It's like 60, 70% of people aren't happy with the direction the country's going in and those people are going to vote Trump. Peggy Noonan went to a focus group with uh, Democrats, Republicans, and Independents. And the person leading it asked if they like any of the candidates and no one raised their hands, right? So they didn't like either of them, any of them. I'll quote from Peggy. She says, when asked to describe the America they want, they said things like a solid education system. People have joy in their work, leading the world in everything, including morals equal opportunity and reward based on work. A culture that improves us as a people. Wow. Uh, So those are all conservative principles. Which is why I've always said and still believe that most Americans are conservative. They just don't know it yet because it hasn't been properly described to them. Or to go back to what we kicked off the hour with, um, conservatism has been misrepresented by a bunch of imaginary hobgoblins but i think most americans are conservative because i mean look at the things that these people want we'll move away from the solid education system because that that's obvious but people who have joy in their work leading the world in morals uh reward based like merit-based work a culture that improves us as a people i mean it's amazing so here's peggy she says the person doing the focus group asked will the next generation be better off no one raised a hand this is not news. It's been cliche since the crash of 2008. You get used to the data. Americans no longer assume that their children will have it better than they did. But it was striking to see these dozen thoughtful people keep their hands down asked what has been lost in America. One respondent said security for kids. They can't just go out and play innocence for kids. Said another parents no longer feel the world. Even the immediate one is a safe place. What's missing in America? A freshness, said a middle-aged man. He went on to speak of the 1950s Ozzy and Harriet, when things seemed newer, somehow. Is America off track? They all nodded. A woman said you can't pray in school anymore, and by this she, she meant that religious practice, which among other things offers guidelines and guardrails, is no longer officially sanctioned or encouraged hmm. again conservative cultural conservative principles it's funny you know to say you're a social conservative is a is a strong statement these days to the point where a lot of people will say i'm fiscally conservative socially moderate isn't that funny because and what they do I mean by that is well i don't want to be i'm not like Crazy progressive and i'm like way on the left there, but I can't be associated with the wackos on the right, so i'm going to call myself a social moderate that's what these people that social moderates just want everything that we're talking about here most people do most people do so my wife's favorite TV show uh well so so her dad was visiting the other day because we have our newborn here so we've that family coming in and out, and her dad watched this show growing up and and watched it with my wife growing up. And there was a marathon all the other day. We are flicking through the channels. We found it. So we watched an episode. Uh, it was the Andy Griffith show. So it was the episode about uh, Barney joining the town choir. And he wasn't any good. So the gang tried to find ways to kick him out of the choir without actually kicking him out, without hurting his feelings. All right, so that, that, was, that was the antics of the episode. And it was just wholesome and innocent and good. It's all, and and people, people want that. That's what, the, that's what people want. But they keep getting fed garbage. People just keep getting fed junk food. Just trash. And it's weird. It's, it's, just, it's honestly just like dieting. Like If you eat bad food... You feel bad, you feel lethargic, you gain weight, it's th- you just don't feel good, you don't sleep as well. Um, but if that's all you've done for a long time, you just sort of, you don't even know. Right. And then, let's say you go on a diet, you cut out carbs. What happens when you cut out carbs? You get headaches, you feel even more lethargic. Uh, it's like this this cleansing process for about two weeks is really difficult. And then you get through it, and... You don't even want to go back. Like you just, it's like, oh, like, like I, I got you. Snap out of it. Like, oh, that's gross. Now I'm not going to eat this processed garbage all the time. That's what our country's been doing culturally for a long time, right? This is how lost we are. And I know I brought this up earlier, but like the hypocrisy of this is unbelievable. Hillary's entire campaign right now is run based off of Trump's a bad role model, right? Hillary's a great role model, women president. Trump's a bad role model, and she plants all these questions in her town halls from little girls saying, oh, bullying has gone up in my school because of Donald Trump. Like, give me a break, right? So she's pitching this whole thing that Donald Trump's a bad role model, but then she has Jay-Z and Beyonce do a concert for her. Holy cow. And at the concert, it'd be one thing if at the concert, they sang nice songs, but they did their, all their songs with the F word and the N word and MF and Bob, blah, 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 blah. It's like big pimping and all this. Stuff. And then Hillary gets out there and talks about how uh, we need uh, good role models for girls. So you can't vote for Donald Trump. You got to vote for Hillary. What are you talking about? Right? so like People can't even see that hypocrisy because they're so stuck in it. They're just, they're just. I'm not even going to say neck deep in mud. We're drowning. We're totally drowning. It's over our f- mouths and all we can do is barely breathe out of one nostril. We're so stuck in the squire. And that's what people want so desperately to get out of. And I think people are frustrated because Trump, Um, they, they, they wanted someone who could, who would really lasso them out and Trump's not quite that guy, but at least he represents change and still that's why people I think will, um, will vote for him at the end of the day because no one wants to live in a country where a high school football team holds the American flag before the game. And people call it frightening. What the heck? And if nothing else, and this is the theme of the uh, latest Facebook video on our Facebook page. I hope this election makes people stop looking to politicians for anything. <laughs> stop looking to them for salvation and hope and happiness. You won't find it. Politicians don't set culture. They reflect it. We make culture. And it's possible to change it. It starts in your home. All right, we'll see. Next time we meet, we'll have a new president-elect, maybe. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word.
4: You're listening to Mike Slater.
3: Part of the next generation of talk radio. On
4: The Blaze Radio Network.